Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene on Gardner Web University Radio, WGWG.org. I'm Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with my cohort in cinema, my co-host in crime, Mr. Adam Long from Focus Newspaper. You can find him on focusnewspaper.com. Hey, buddy, how are you, man? Doing good, doing well. Excellent. Uh, and hope you are, too. Yep. I know you had your bout with bronchitis. Yeah, uh, so. <clears throat> yeah last week I couldn't, I couldn't talk without coughing about every uh, three seconds, and so hopefully... Uh, that will not be happening this time. If it does, I'll make sure I mute the mic and uh, step away and just kind of let you roll with it. But uh, I, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be fine. But, yeah, I appreciate it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm back in action. Uh, glad to be back in the saddle. So, man, um, a lot of things going on, Adam, uh, movie-wise. Uh, a ton of things happening. Um, you know, last weekend's box office, not a huge box office, uh, not, not huge box office numbers, but uh, we once again had Melissa McCarthy, uh, finding a way to find some success uh, in uh, uh, in the theaters, and uh, we also had uh, you know the uh, earthquake film San Andreas still still holding strong in uh, Insidious Chapter Three. We'll talk about that, um, and we'll also talk about what's new in theaters this weekend. And uh, you're going to give a uh, a review of a film that's in very limited release, Love and Mercy, and uh, I'll give a review of Manglehorn. Uh, the new Holly Hunter and Al Pacino film uh, directed by David Gordon Green, who did uh, Pineapple Express and Snow Angels a few years ago with Kate Beckinsale and Sam Rockwell. Uh, that'll that'll be actually released, limited release, next week, but we can do a preview of that. And uh, we're also going to talk about Christopher Lee, the legend. Um, uh, you and I grew up just loving this guy, and it's kind of cool um, – that my son did the same thing, but with some different films. And so we'll talk about the life of Christopher Lee as well. All that on this week's edition of Cinema Scene. Man, how's that for an introduction and a sneak preview of what people are going to find right here? Yeah. Yeah, sounds like uh, a full show. Let's yes. see if we can uh, actually get to Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's let's dive into uh, to box office quickly and uh, look at last weekend's box office. Um, we did have... Uh, well, let's see. I, for some reason, I am not able to pull up my, my list. Do you have those uh, available on your end? Uh, I do. Yes, I Okay, do. well, good deal. Uh, Mine, mine's not, mine's not doing, doing it, so uh, let me hear the uh, top five last weekend. All right. Well, we had Mad Max Fury, Fury Road at number five, holding steady there, $7.8 million. I think this is uh, interesting because the weekend it came out, uh, Pitch Perfect 2 beat it uh, to the punch at the box office. But now Mad Max is hanging in there, yep. so uh, and Pitch Perfect has fallen out of the top five. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, it looks like uh, Mad Max may have more staying power. In- yeah, and, and uh, mine did pop up worldwide. Mad Max is still doing quite well, uh, $317.8 million worldwide. So it's made its money yeah. back by double, so not too shabby there. Yeah, I heard an interview with George Miller. Uh, I guess it was just around the time that Mad Max... Fury Road was released, and he said that he already has a script completed and written for the next chapter, and he has an outline for a third one. That's so awesome. I don't know if he'll get the green light, but I would li- I surely would like to see him get the green yeah. light, and after all, he is in his 70s at yes. this point, so, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's going to have to get on it. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Know, I'd love to see those two. Essence. Yeah, I'd love to see those two. Yeah. Uh, number so, four last week was a debut, Adam. Yeah, it was Entourage and uh, getting scathing reviews and not much business either. And I think this was kind of an experiment, if you ask me, for HBO. I think they were curious to see if they could expand their 
they're you know they've done so well with their TV shows, right? And, and turning them into uh, I mean, well, you know, on their, the the product they have on the small screen has done well for them. Yes, with their original series, but they've had not much success expanding them into big screen product. Uh, Sex and the City, the first one did fairly well. The second one, not so much. Uh, so I think this was their, uh, th- they thought they would take another stab at it, if you will, and uh, try it again. And this time I think they've fallen flat on their faces. Uh, and it's, I don't know if the film were, were a little bit better, uh, from what I'm hearing, that, you know, people might have gone to see it. And they, but, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the complaints that we're hearing is that it, plays less like a film than a particularly shallow uh, cameo-studded extended yes. episode of the show. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's just, I'm not sure if they're going to, I don't think we're going to see the um, uh, the Wire, the movie. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and Entourage, I mean, it, it only opened at $10 million um, in its debut at number four, so we're not expecting that to do much, much better. Uh, number three was uh, Insidious Chapter Three, which is the, uh, you know, the the first film was quite amazing, and uh, you and I both were not big fans of the second. Let's get your no. let's get your take on Insidious Chapter Three, which uh, actually opened at number three. Not really a great opening for it um, as well. Well, it's better than number two. <laughs> uh, you mean you mean the movie is better much. than number two? Gotcha. Yeah, it's not saying much. Um, it's it's a slight improvement, but it's not a great film. Unfortunately, it's just uh, I don't know if it's because I've seen too many of these types of films, or if I'm just, uh, or if it's just not that good. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. If, if, okay. Or maybe it's a combination. Maybe it's just me. Or maybe it's really not that good of a film. But I didn't find myself being scared, except there were maybe two good jolts in the film. Um, but. Um, other than that, it's you know it's a prequel, right? So and it uh, the title card tells us that this is uh, events that happened uh, prior to the haunting of the family in the first two films. So it's a prequel, but the people involved here have nothing to do with the family that was haunted in the first two films. We don't have actors playing that family at an earlier stage. We right. just, they just totally don't mention them at all. And so that's kind of strange. And you have this teenage girl, and her mother has recently died, and she's trying to reach uh, over the threshold, I guess, and have a conversation with her. She's convinced she needs has a message. She wants to get to her mom, and so she she gets involved with uh, Elise, the, uh, the, the, the psychic who's in the other two films played by Lynn Shea, and she's always a good actress and does a good job, but... Uh, she tells the girl, I don't want to get involved, it's too dangerous, and then she decides to get involved, and she finds out that the girl's uh, being haunted by these spirits or whatever, like the characters in the first movie. The little boy was being chased by that those spirits. Well, this little girl's the same thing's happening to her. And so um, on and on it goes, and, you know, there's, like I said, a couple of well-timed jolts, but... Uh, You've got the two Ghostbusters characters from the first two movies. They show up. One of those is Lee Wanell. He's the writer right. and director of this film. He wrote all of them, and yep. he's the the director this time around. And I mean, you know, he's. It, I don't know. It just had a feel of, um, yeah, you know, been there, done that. Right. It just wasn't really, wasn't 
wasn't much to write home about, so to speak. So I was disappointed. I was hoping that they maybe could uh, could come up with something a little inventive. But, you know, part of the problem is when you're dealing with prequels, there's just no suspense. You know these characters are going to pop up later on the timeline, so you know that no harm is going to come to them. So you just kind of sit back and you're like, eh, well, nothing's going to happen to them, so yeah. I'm not really worried. And so you're not emotionally invested in the film par- partially. And so that's, you know, that's part of the problem. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Insidious Chapter Three. I'm going to give it a solid. Uh, uh, I guess a C minus. Okay. That's what you're going to get from me. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Lee Wanell also uh, wrote the uh, first three Saw films. That's right. And um, a film called Dead Silent back from uh, 2007, which was also from the the kind of horror genre. And That's so, correct. Uh, yep. Yeah, and, and I guess uh, if, if Insidious Chapter Four comes comes out, she may he may not write that based on uh, what we saw with Saw One, Two, and Three. So uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, C C minus, yeah. uh, not not too uh, not too uh, great for uh, for this uh, weekend's uh, film that's been out for two weeks. Insidious Chapter Three. Yeah. Uh, number two last weekend at the box office, uh, San Andreas. Uh, Adam is still really doing well. Um, at the box office, um, internationally, it's doing incredibly well. Uh, over almost three hundred million dollars worldwide for this film. Uh, domestically, at one hundred and six million, which is you know is is really not bad for this kind of film. But that worldwide market is the thing that's really starting to to take hold, mm-hmm. uh, especially for films like this and action films. Um, those films play so well overseas. And uh, I, I think it's just uh, it, it's really one of those things where it's a kind of smart business for uh, for studios to say, OK, we, we can't rely on the U.S. and North America anymore. Uh, you know, it used to be Canada and uh, the U.S. And uh, we got to move on. And uh, you know, the past decade, we've continued to see that expand. And it's uh, truly expanded um, to where the U.S. is not even number one anymore. And, um, you know, you look at the worldwide gross for that film in particular. I'll just give you a snapshot um, 63, almost 64% of the total gross for uh, San Andreas is happening worldwide. So uh, that, that kind of says something um, to uh, where the business of movies is anymore. It's, uh, it's not necessarily here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. It's the international gross is, uh, you know, that's, that's a big piece of the pie these days. And uh, just reading... That Universal Pictures has reached two billion internationally wow. uh, in record time. Wow. So we're only uh, in June, you know, half the year. Yeah, yeah. At the halfway mark, and they have already reached the two billion mark internationally. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and that's thanks to Jurassic World, Fifty Shades, Furious Seven, and Pitch yeah. Perfect Two. So, wow. Uh, wow. There you go. There you go. Well, San Andreas uh, continuing to hold strong. It'll probably have another good uh, couple weeks uh, in the top five, I would think. Um, Spy, um, number one last week, not by much. Uh, it was number one with uh, $29 million, uh, just uh, beat out San Andreas by $4 million. And, uh, you know, this one's getting some pretty decent reviews. Um, I, I've, you know, I, I kept seeing the trailers, and I got really frustrated because I'm like, you know, how many times are they going to show the same uh, trailer with the, the scooter with the, with the top on it and her complaining about that? And uh, the trailers really did not draw me into wanting to go see this. I felt like, okay, it's just, once again, another, uh, you know, another Melissa McCarthy film where she's the very same character, but just in a, you know, a different kind of role. Uh, but audiences are, are, are taking to it. Yeah, right. Yep, you're right. Uh, I did miss Spy, but it's getting, you know, 
better reviews than Tammy, yep. I think. Yep. Uh, yep. Tammy didn't get the, the best word no, about, but no. uh, Spy is getting pr- pretty much universal praise almost. Yeah. It's uh, trending at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, so, uh, you know, it must be must be something good going on there, and I'm actually curious. I had just about given up on Melissa McCarthy after the duo of The Heat yeah. and uh, Identity Thief, which both of them did nothing for me. Yeah, so I, 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 did like, uh, I did like Heat, but not a big fan of Identity Thief. I really, really actually hated Identity Thief. Yeah, I didn't care for either one of them, really. Uh, although she redeemed herself last year with St. Vincent, I thought. She oh, was yeah. terrific in that. That's the kind of thing I'd like to see her doing more of. Uh, the film with Bill Murray we're talking about. But yep. uh, Spy, yeah, I'm probably going to get around to seeing it. I just haven't had a chance yep. to to uh, investigate. But um, anyway, but I will tell you about one I did investigate, and that would be Love and Mercy, the uh, biopic of Brian Wilson, the uh, leader of Beach Boys, who wrote all the group songs and uh, considered to be a musical genius. And... Um, it's uh, it's an interesting biopic and very absorbing, I thought. I wasn't sure. You know, there have been several documentaries done about his troubled life, and uh, they're good. Uh, there's a really particularly good one called I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. And uh, so the story's out there. You know, it's not like people don't know the Brian Wilson story, but uh, this is the first time it's attempted. they've attempted to dramatize it. And uh, it's a great cast here. You've got Elizabeth Banks. Uh, she's uh, and John Cusack. They uh, John Cusack plays the older uh, Brian Wilson, and Elizabeth Banks plays a, 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 a car salesman that uh, that the older Brian Wilson happens to chance upon when trying to buy a new car for himself, and he kind of develops a romance with her. And uh, her, her uh, the, the character she's portraying actually literally saved his life because he was uh, at that point under physician's care by a, um, a, a sociopathic doctor who was um, uh, taking advantage of, of Brian Wilson and over-medicating him, and she realized that something was going on, and so there's a whole uh, sequence, a big chunk of the movie is devoted to her, you know, trying to literally get him out of that situation. And uh, Giamatti, Paul Giamatti is always great. He plays the, uh, the, the, the Dr. Landry, the uh, doctor who was... Uh, over-medicating Brian Wilson at the point. But anyway, and then we have the uh, sequences with the younger Brian Wilson, played by Paul Dano, and uh, they they do a good job of showing us how he crafted his, his songs and how he put them together in the studio. And Atticus uh, Ross, who was um, uh, an Academy Award winner for the score on the um, uh, the social network several years back, he has reconstructed a lot of the old Beach Boys recordings, and a lot, and I, you can tell that they're using instrumental tracks and breaking them down to show you how it was done. So that's kind of inventive. You, it's, you, know, you learn a few things here and there. And uh, the only trouble I had with the film was that uh, it's it's a little bit jarring at first because Paul Dano and uh, John Cusack really look nothing alike. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. When they switch from the younger Brian Wilson to the older Brian Wilson. That's a little bit of a jar, jarring thing. But once you get acclimated to it, it's it's fine. Uh, it's, an, like I said, a very absorbing and engrossing film. Um, it's technically well made. Uh, lots of great actors there doing their thing. And I liked how, you know, the, recently there was a documentary about the Wrecking Crew, if you remember. And those, that was the group of studio musicians that played backup on all those 
pop records of the late 50s uh, through the early 70s. And that's terrific. He just came out on DVD also, by the way. I would recommend everybody listening to get a copy of that, streaming and all that good stuff, The Wrecking Crew. But uh, it's funny, in this movie they actually have actors portraying The Wrecking Crew uh, in the film. And if you've seen the documentary, then you will also recommend the uh, or recognize these names that are in the, of the uh, characters in the film. Uh, so anyway, it's it's some really good stuff. And of course, you know that there's the whole there's a lot of the other stuff about Brian Wilson's you know relationship with his father. Of course, his father was physically abusive, and and then you know, I think that probably had something to do with the fact that he eventually uh, became schizophrenic and had all kinds of uh, mental issues. Brian Wilson, that is, and uh, you know, and so at one point he didn't get out of bed for three years. Wow. Wow. And they kind of get into that a little bit, too. So, anyway, uh, really good movie, Love and Mercy. Uh, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Uh, highly recommended. Good deal. Uh, if you get a chance to check it out. And uh, if you are a fan of uh, the music of Brian Wilson, uh, he has a new uh, release called No Peer Pressure, and that's spelled P-I-E-R. And uh, if you like Wilson stuff with the Beach Boys, you will, you will, you will like this, and you will... I, I, we've got a copy of the CD here in uh, WGWG, and uh, we're playing some of the tunes. And I got to tell you, uh, one of the things that's always impressed me about uh, Brian Wilson is really his attention to detail with production quality and the u- unique things that he's able to do with music. And he's always been that way, and he still is. And you really feel that with the with no peer pressure so i'd recommend checking that out uh and uh, they've also just uh re-released um his 1988 release called um love and mercy um uh, brian wilson's uh, really kind of that uh, debut album and had the uh, soundtrack uh, the title track for that love and mercy and a few other things and they've just uh, re-released that from uh, 1988 uh, the brian wilson uh release so uh, you may want to yeah. check it out Actually, it was called Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, but Love and Mercy, the, the song was actually on that. And so mm-hmm. uh, yep. uh, Sire Records originally did that, but they have just uh, just re-released that. So you may want to check that out as well. Uh, yeah. Love, and, Love and Mercy in limited release now. It's not going to be easy to find. Um, uh, the uh, theater count for that, um, I'll have to pull that up to see, but it's, uh, it's, not, uh, you know, it's not in a wide release, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's a shame because there's uh, it's so much better than so many other things that are that are out there, and uh, you know, I don't know. It's just uh, it's kind of shameful. Yeah, four um, four hundred eighty theaters. So uh, compare that to uh, to thirty eight hundred for San Andreas and Spy, and so that kind of gives you a glimpse of yeah, you're probably not going to be able to find that movie. Uh, but it was uh, at uh, at number uh, eleven last week. So uh, you know, even with that. Uh, 480 theaters to be in the, almost the top 10, not not too shabby. Um, anything else you want to share about uh, Wilson or about that? No, I think okay. that pretty well Good deal. sums it up. All right. Well, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that gives you an idea of uh, if you're looking, if you can find it, um, please go see it. Okay, good. Really good stuff. Well, I'll give you a quick overview of the film called Manglehorn, which uh, is directed by David Gordon Green, who did uh, Pineapple Express and Snow Angels a few years ago. Um, got a new film uh, that he's uh, directed, and uh, it's got Al Pacino and Holly Hunter, both incredible, uh, incredible stars, incredible actors. 
Uh, the film does open in limited release next weekend, but it has been at several festivals, and so there's no embargo on uh, talking about this. I got a chance for an early screening uh, for this film, and uh, it's it's really the story of a guy named, uh, last name's Manglehorn, that's where the, the title comes from, and he's uh, an aging uh, aging uh, small town, uh, small shop business owner. He owns a uh, he's a locksmith and owns a locksmith shop, and uh, you know his life has has kind of reached this point where he's uh, looking back with regrets, and it's really one of these stories of a of a man who uh, is battling himself and battling the mistakes he's made, and he's continuing to make those same mistakes. And those mistakes really impact his relationship with those who want to be close to him. Um, he, you, you see his compassion and his love for people he doesn't know. But when it comes to people that, uh, that are close to him, he, he just ruins those relationships. And um, there's one kind of underlying theme from the beginning that you see that there was uh, there's some woman that left him years ago, left him heartbroken, and uh, the whole story kind of ties around that heartbreak and um, how that's kind of formed him into who he is. And uh, the character is played by, by, um, by Pacino in that lead role. Um, he, does, he does get introduced to a, a bank teller played by Holly Hunter. And uh, you, you see chemistry and you see the possibility of, of a relationship that can blossom there. But um, because of his past and because of just who he is, he just will not allow that to happen and finds ways to destroy anything that kind of comes in his path that can give him, um, give him love and give him hope. And, uh, you know, the story sounds really kind of interesting, and it's a true drama uh, without a doubt. Uh, Bacino is, is wonderful. Hunter um, is great in the, the supporting role. But um, the story itself is, is, is very slow and methodical, which is not always a bad thing, but I got to tell you, in, in this instance, Adam, it's so slow and methodical that I really got bored, and mm. um, I, I just I kept saying, well, you know, if this had, movie had been a short, I, I would have been drawn into it a whole lot more. But I really think that um, that David Gordon Green just tried to you know draw this film out uh, to a ninety-seven minute feature um, just to get you know Pacino on film as much as he could. Uh, there were a lot of scenes that were just way too long that had no purpose uh, whatsoever. Uh, visually, it was stunning the way it was shot and the way it was put together. The cinematography was great uh, on, on how they captured uh, Pacino and the different scenes that were going on. But it was just, it was just honestly, I was just bored with it. And, and I don't say that about many Al Pacino films, but I was just bored with it. I, I was ready for it to be over. Um, I was ready for, for something to happen with his character um, to, to make some kind of change happen. I was just ready for it to end, and, uh, and that was disappointing to me. I really uh, had high hopes for this. Uh, Manglehorn, I'm giving it a C. It was average, um, and had it not had uh, Pacino and Holly Hunter, it, it probably would have been a C- minus or maybe even a D for me. So, uh, so Manglehorn, that's my take on, on that, which will be in limited release. Uh, next weekend in theaters, uh, starring Al Pacino, Holly Hunter, directed by David Gordon Green. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a big, I like David Gordon Green's work for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of missteps there, here and there. I met the guy last year, and uh, he seems like a nice enough guy. But, uh, 
you know, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I had high expectations when I met him. Uh, he was in pre-production for uh, for that film and uh, was was excited about it. So, but like I said, I'm I'm really sorry that. Uh, to hear bad things about it. Yeah, I think he just tried to work too hard with with what he had, and um, I think honestly this would have been an amazing uh, short. I really do. I mean, you, you cut it down, cut it down to an hour, it would have been really good. Forty five minutes would have been even better. Um, I, I think he just really tried to stretch the story way, way too much, way too much. Well, we've got about uh, seven minutes to kind of wrap things up and talk about Christopher Lee who died this week at the age of 93. Uh, the guy was, was really amazing uh, on so many different levels, and, and we probably should have dedicated a whole show just to him. But uh, my, my memories go back to my childhood, seeing him um, as Dracula uh, in the Hammer films, and that was my first introduction. And then my first introduction to a James Bond film also starred Christopher Lee as the villain in The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, looking back, 1958 was the first time he appeared as Dracula, and uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Christopher Lee um, has the uh, distinct, um, you know, ranking of, of being Dracula more than any other uh, any other actor on film. Is that does that sound right to you? I think you're probably correct yeah. on that one. Yeah, the guy, you know, went on uh, in future years, and my son, you know, I grew up on him in, in, in uh, the Dracula films. My son grew up on him in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings films. And so it's kind of interesting that we share that love of Christopher Lee um, in film uh, and, and, you know, in, in completely different generations. But uh, let's get some of your thoughts on Christopher Lee and, uh, and what you really feel about what he brought to, I say, Sir Christopher Lee, what he brought to the world of film. Well, I think he was just, you know, I mean, when you've got 268 credits yeah. to your name, yeah. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. And uh, he's, I mean, it's, it was certainly pretty impressive. I, I, I was a little ruffled. My feathers were a little ruffled when everybody, when the news of his passing came around and people were saying, well, the star of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars prequels has died, Christopher Lee. And, and you know, in my opinion, those films would probably come at the bottom of any list of films that he made because there are so many more so many, so so many better films that he was involved with that would put those way down the list, and uh, so you know that that just uh, I mean you know it's 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 kind of aggravating that people just have such a short sighted uh, they 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 don't know anything about film history these right, days right. You, you know they just know things that happened in the last ten years and that's kind of sad but. You know, you you look over his credits. His first one was in 1946 and 47 for a TV series called Kaleidoscope, and you know it was uh, just a lot of just some interesting things in his early years. Captain Horatio Hornblower, and uh, you have Moulin Rouge, uh, and uh, you know some things like that. But then he got involved with the Hammer Studios uh, films. Yeah, 20, say, 20 years he was with him with Hammer. Pretty amazing. He, he, right, right. Yeah, he started with the. Um, of course, as you said, uh, with Curse of Frankenstein, I think was one of the first ones in '57. That that, that predated the his appearance as Dracula by a year, and then yep. the following year it was Horror of Dracula. And you know, he went on to do, you know, he's as it went on, he did the Mummy, of course, in '59, and uh, you know, then really got into some horror films in the '60s with The Hands of Orlock and Scream of Fear and things of that nature, and he, of course, kept appearing as uh, 
as uh, Dracula on and off throughout the decade and into yeah. the mid-70s. Uh, one of my favorite things that he did in the 60s was a, it's made a big impression on me as a kid, was a, an, a horror anthology film called Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. That was made for Amicus Studios, which was kind of a, one of Hammer's competitors. And they were famous for making these uh, horror anthology films. They did the Tales from the Crypt film in 72, Vault of Horror. And uh, their first attempt at this was Dr. T- Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. And, uh, that, that He plays an, uh, an art critic who, uh, I mean, he's, uh, he, he's a critic who uh, causes this painter to kill himself after he gives him such a harsh review. And, and uh, so this painter steps out into traffic and his hand is cut off and the guy's hand chases Christopher Lee through the film, <laughs> yeah. uh, taunting him and terrorizing yeah. him. It's, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, but yeah, and he, you know, there's just a lot of good things. Rasputin, the Mad Monk. And, yeah, Rasputin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's uh, that's another one. And uh, of course, uh, and then in 1970, he teamed up with Billy Wilder for the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. He, terrific performance as uh, Sherlock Holmes' brother, Mycroft, yep. in that film. And so that's another one. And another of the Amicus anthologies he was involved in was The House That Dripped Blood. By the way. And, uh, you know, Hanny Calder is a good one with Raquel Welch. Struther Martin's in that, too. And Ernest Borgnine, what a cast there. Yeah, you know, he was also in another uh, uh, film with the Raquel Welch, I think. Uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't, he, wasn't she in The Three Musketeers back in 73? That's right. He made uh, several of those, yeah. actually. They, uh, well, he, he was in the, the Three Musketeers, The Four Musketeers, yeah. and in the 89 they made a third one called The Return of the Musketeers. Ah, uh, you know, I forgot about that so one, yeah. He's in all three of those. They're all made with the same director, uh, Richard Lester. So, yeah, uh, and he, was, uh, he made an appearance on the Space 1999 television series, uh, uh, Airport 77. <laughs> yeah. Return from Witch Mountain, remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy, it is amazing. When you look at his, uh, his filmography, you really get a sense for, wow, this guy was a legend. And yeah. um, he just could do so many different things. He was an imposing figure. He was very unique in his look. Um, you know, six foot four, six foot five. Um, the guy was was really incredible, and he could do a lot of different things. Yeah, he was. Um, in many ways, he could have been typecast because of those horror type films that he did. But he was able to do other things too, and you saw that when you saw you talk about the uh, Musketeer films, um, and also. Um, uh, he was uh, also didn't he show up in uh, Spielberg's 1941? Wasn't he, he in does. that too? He's, he's, he's standing there speaking German, and right beside him is uh, Toshiro Mifune speaking Japanese, and then you have Slim Pickens in the same frame speaking Slim. Pickens. <laughs> absolutely, but, uh, absolutely. So that's that's definitely uh, that has to be seen to be believed. Yeah. And let's not forget he played Doctor Catheter in Gremlins Two, the new. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, I tell you, um, Christopher Lee, if you have not seen any of his early work, I recommend you guys uh, check him out. Um, you know, check out the Hammer films especially. Um, I, I was a big fan of those, and that's, that's just my pick on that because I just grew up watching him in those Hammer films. And, of course. Um, uh, he's, just, he's even uh, in a Police Academy movie, believe it or not. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't know that I remembered that, so I'll have to yeah, go back and check Yeah, he's in the final one, the Mission to Moscow, when they went go to Russia. So okay. He, he even turned up in that. Wow. So, uh, well, there you go. That's, kinda, that, that's funny. And, of course, he had later had a, a relationship with uh, Tim Burton, whom he always said was one of his favorite directors, yep. and they did uh, Sleepy Hollow and yeah. you know, 
starting with that, and he was in quite a few things. So yeah. anyway, rest in peace, Christopher Lee, yeah. and uh, we, I, we will miss your contribution to the world of film. Yeah, the cool thing is we get a chance to uh, continue to uh, to watch it and go back and look at just uh, what it was that uh, that you did for the for the world of film. So we appreciate you, and uh, you will be missed. Well, that yep. is it for uh, this this edition of Cinema Scene right here on Gardner Web University Radio, WGWG.org. I'm Noel T. Manning II. That's Adam Long. Adam, you can find uh, his information at focusnewspaper.com. You can always uh, find out more about our shows and download them by going to wgwg.org and follow the SoundCloud link. And you uh, can download all sorts of our uh, shows from the past, uh, including the current ones. Uh, until next time, I'm Noel Manning. That's Adam Long, and that has been Cinema Scene, and this is a wrap.